Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Lab. Our podcast contains graphic and gruesome content. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Cassie. I'm Brittany. And And this this is Crime Lab. Hello, Lab Techs. Welcome back for another week of crime. You know, the same thing we say every start of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) This week is Cassie's week. Mm -hmm. And... I know nothing per use, like absolutely nothing, <laughs> besides it's cut and dry is what she said. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's just like get into it. Yeah, and this is coming out before Christmas, so Merry Christmas, everybody. We hope you have a Merry very Christmas. safe and joyful weekend with your family or loved ones or whoever you are celebrating with, whether it be family or just you and your pets or you and your significant other however you celebrate we hope you enjoy and to bring in the christmas spirit i am going to be telling you guys about a case that took place in december of 1992 okay so we're gonna go back to 1992 the streets of dayton ohio were just lined with Christmas lights. There were decorations, like the downtown area was very festive. There was a bunch of shops filled with people out doing their Christmas shopping. And within this peaceful small town, there's always trouble. It's never as good as it looks in pictures. There's always something going on in the alleys, behind closed doors, in these picturesque little area. So within this small town, There was a group of friends that consisted of 19-year-old Marvelous King, his girlfriend, (laughs) 16-year-old Laura Taylor, and their friends, 19-year-old Demarcus Smith and his girlfriend, 20-year-old Heather Nicole Matthews. So a group of four friends. But they weren't just like a normal group of friends. Their goal was just to wreak havoc on the town. Like they caused trouble, they stole, they did all the things that you wouldn't want to happen in your town. They were the rebellious Yeah, and the oldest one here is 20 years old, and the youngest is 16. That's insane for them to be that harmful to their town at that young age. Yes and no. I guess it's more... Oh, I was going to say, I guess it's more common now, but I don't think it is. That was something people did. Like, what... Like, the uh greasers and mm-hmm. things like that like it's just what i mean what else were you supposed to do back then <laughs> i guess yeah in the 90s in ohio of all places there wasn't much to yeah. do but not only do they consider themselves like a friend group they considered themselves a gang and they went by the downtown posse and again bringing in the christmas spirit on christmas eve the gang decided that it was time to push their limits and do something that they had never done before. And they came up with this whole plan, and that was to have the girls flirt with, like, an older guy, convince him to invite them over for a threesome. This was their chance to, like, get into this person's home, to see what they have, and in hopes to steal from them. So this plan was like the most planned out attack that they have ever done. Everything else was like spur of the moment, like stealing little things here and there. Nothing like a full 
planned out attack. So the two girls, Laura and Heather, went out on town and caught the eye of a man named Joseph Wilkerson, who was a 34-year-old GM factory worker. Okay. So they approached Dang. him. Yeah, they approached him. They put on the charm and were like really talking him up. And got to a point where he was like, yeah, like, let's do this. Let's continue this little rendezvous that we have going on. Come over, come back to like my place and we can get this going. Oh, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, because keep in mind, she doesn't look like it. But Laura, who was like the leader of the two girls in this moment, was only 16. Oh, yeah. And he's 34. I mean, she doesn't look like she's 16, but still, like, come on, dude. Still creepy. Yeah. (laughs) So her boyfriend, Marvelous Keen, was like the leader of the group. He was very tough and he ran everything. All the ideas were like his ideas that the group took into action. So she was kind of following in his foot footsteps of like being the leader so once the girls went back to wilkerson's house and they were inside they somehow unlocked or left one of the doors open without him realizing coaxed him into the bedroom where they had joseph wilkerson like lay on the bed and then they ended up tying his arms and his legs to the bedpost with like electrical wire trying to do you know some kinky stuff But little did he know that while they were doing this, Marvelous Keen entered the home through the door that they had left unlocked. And the girls left Joseph Wilkerson tied up in the bedroom as they joined Marvelous in like finding things around the house. So they scoured the house and they took like TVs, a phone, a few other things. And while they were searching the house, they came across a 32 caliber, I'm going to say this so wrong, sorry for any gun enthusiasts, a Duringer or Duringer. I'm so sorry. I sound like an idiot. No idea. (laughs) (laughs) And Marvelous King saw this gun and it was like, "Ah, holy grail. He was going to do something he had never done before. He took the gun that he found in Joseph Wilkerson's house entered the bedroom, and shot Joseph Wilkerson in the chest. What the? Why? Just because he was like, bingo, found a gun, let's use it. Like, no motive, no reasoning. He just found a gun and wanted to use it. Jeez. After Marvelous had shot him in the chest, his girlfriend, again, 16-year-old Laura Taylor, also found a 25 caliber weapon in the home, followed in her boyfriend's footsteps, and put the gun to Wilkerson's head and shot him for a second time. Oh my, these people. Just because they could. No other reasoning. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. There's... I have no words. Yeah. And then, why go back and shoot him a second time? No and- reasoning. Not only did shooters went for the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because again, if they got out of there and left him alive, he would be able to identify at least two of them, the two girls. Whether they gave, gave like fake aliases or something, he saw their faces. Yeah. So I don't know if that was a driving factor. Like, we can't let him live. He's a loose string. No witnesses. Yeah. 
So at this point, this was the first murder that these three have ever, like, cooperated in or done themselves. So they're, like, on a high. And they're like, we need more of this. Like, this rush is awesome. We need to keep this going. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am sure that the adrenaline rush is, like, insane. Mm -hmm. Especially if this is something you thrive on, like, violence and all of this like and then this is like the biggest form of violence there is they're living life according to their perspective yeah that's so wrong yeah the wrong kind of adrenaline rush go freaking <laughs> get on a uh, roller coaster <laughs> right so later that night after killing joseph wilkerson the trio took wilkerson's car and picked up heather's boyfriend demarcus smith and then they just went out on the town looking for more trouble. What idiots. You don't take a dead man's car. Especially, like, if you were the one that... Well, hold on. You don't steal a car in general. Mm-hmm. But not only that, you don't take the dead man's car. Yeah. Stupid. Stupid, stupid. Mm-hmm. They didn't think so. Instead, they drove around town until they can find their next victim. So the next person that they came across was 18-year-old Danita Galetti who was talking on a payphone on Neal Avenue in Dayton, Ohio. The group had never met her before. She was just some random person on the side of the road talking on a payphone. She was a senior at Patterson Cooperative High School and was also the mother of a two-year-old who was waiting at home for her. Oh, no. Yeah. Supposedly, the group had targeted her because she had on new-looking or nice Fila shoes. So they're like, ooh, I like her sneakers. Like, we need to take those. Mm-hmm. So they approached her, threatened her. She handed them over her shoes, all of her other belongings. But they, again, didn't want to leave any witnesses. So after she handed over all of her stuff, the gang then proceeded to shoot her five times. Jeez. Yeah. Like just rang out shots. Police found her body on the ground outside of the telephone booth, like not long after it happened. I mean, they're... Firing a gun in a public area. Yeah. Like somebody's going to hear gunshots and call the cops. So police arrived. They found her body lying there covered in blood and were able to recover the 25 caliber blazer aluminum bullet shell casings. So they didn't pick up the casings. The casings were just there. So now they have these casings in relation to this murder. Her coat, her Fila shoes... And a backpack that only contained 50 cents and then other belongings that really weren't worth much to steal were taken from her. They got there in time to rush her to the hospital when she was still alive but barely hanging on. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, by the time they made it to the hospital, she was pronounced dead upon arrival. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. That's so sad. I know. We're so messed up. And they're definitely, like, going on a rampage. They are way too trigger happy right now. Yeah. And especially, it's like, they have zero motive. Like, they aren't targeting people like the first guy. They're like, let's just find whoever we can flirt with and get to take home. Get to take us home. That's it. Yeah. Next one. Danita. It's just whoever we come across next. That's a good opportunity. Like, they have no goal at this point. Well, I would kind of say with 
Danita that the motive was the fact that she looked like she had money, you know, because mm-hmm. she had the shoes and stuff like that. And that's what kind of, from what you said, drew, drew their mm-hmm. attention. So I'd kind of say maybe that would be it for them. But obviously, I don't know. Yeah. But it just, but yeah, it was like wrong random. place, wrong time. Like they didn't target her specifically. Like, yeah, let's yeah, go yeah, find yeah. her. So like we just said, no motive for the first two. But when it came to who they wanted to find as their third target, they chose somebody they knew. Uh-oh. The gang chose to now hunt down a man named Jeffrey Wright, who was 28 years old and also the ex-boyfriend of Heather Matthews. Oh, shoot. So ex-boyfriend, one of the gang members, she, of course, knows all of his usual hangouts. So they <laughs> drove around until they found him sitting in his car, minding his own business. And this is when Heather's now boyfriend, Demarcus Smith, took the gun and put four bullets in his legs and lower body. Oh. So I don't know the angle of the gun into the car or anything like that, but it struck him mostly in the legs. Gotcha. He was able to escape somehow and make it to a nearby home where the police were contacted almost immediately. And luckily, these wounds weren't fatal. They didn't hit, like, any arteries or anything of the sort. So he did, in fact, survive this shooting. Well, that's good. But also, like, wow, super unfortunate. And he, she must have thought he did something bad to her or something if he went, hmm. Yeah. But at this point, too, he's, like, he saw DeMarcus come up to him unless DeMarcus was wearing a mask, which I didn't see any notes of him wearing a mask. But he saw the guy who did it. More than likely. So at this point of the police coming to the scene of where it happened, he's able to give a full encounter. And while the police were responding to this call and the murder of Danita at the payphone, the posse were still on their bullshit. They were still coming up with, okay, who's going to be our next victim? Like, where do we go from here? How can we keep this going? Dang, I didn't, it didn't even register to me that this was all, like, a continuous thing, mm-hmm. like, pretty much within the same night. Yeah. All of this took place on Christmas Eve so far. Like, Holy all cow. in one day at this point. So they were inspired, or at least one of the girls, Laura Taylor, was inspired by Heather saying, let's go get my ex-boyfriend and shooting her ex-boyfriend. So Laura's like, you know what? I want to do the same to my ex. Let's go find him. She seems to be... She seems to be such a follower. She did the same thing that her current boyfriend did. Mm-hmm. And now she wants to do the same thing that the other chick did. Like, Laura. Yeah. Use your own brain. And it's probably telling you don't do it. Yeah. But she's the one, too, that's like, I'm going to be first. And, like, I want to be first. I'm going to run this. Like, I'm going to take keynotes from them. But I'm going to do it. hmm So she was like, okay, my boyfriend, Richmond Maddox. 19 years old. So again, all these people are 20 and under, which is insane to me that they're going on this murder spree at that age. Nuts. But 19-year-old Richmond Maddock was their next target, Laura Taylor's ex-boyfriend. And it was now coming to the end of Christmas Eve and going into Christmas morning when Laura Taylor called her ex, Richmond Maddox, and told him that she wanted to meet up just making it seem very casual, like, hey, I want to meet up with you, kind of coaxing him out to come hang out with her. 
That's suspicious right there. Yeah. Unless they still talk. They're like Which also is suspicious. And if I was Marvelous being the murderous soul that he is, I'd be suspicious. Yeah, I was going to say, but with the personality of that one, of her current boyfriend, Marvelous, like there's no way mm-hmm. that, that he would allow them to still be talking. Yeah, he seems very, like that type that would be very controlling. Murderous people usually are. <laughs> yeah. So they were <laughs> able to drop Laura Taylor off at his house. She was on the phone with him, called him, coaxed him out of his parents' home. And then she went by his house after the group had dropped her off. And she got into Richmond's car with him and they drove off with Richmond not realizing that tailing them was Marvelous Keene, Demarcus Smith, and Heather Matthews still in the Wilkerson stolen car. So it's not a car he recognizes following him. Yeah. Yeah, so he wouldn't know that it was the group of them following. Mm -hmm. But something happened to where either the conversation or something, but he started to become suspicious of like, why does why does Laura actually want to see me and hang out with me? And so he's kind of getting a little more suspicious and putting pieces together. And then he realizes the same car has been following me this entire time. Like something's going on. Mm-hmm. So in hopes to get away from this car, he steps on the gas guns it trying to get away from this car and just out of reaction of like oh shit this is happening laura pulls the 35 caliber gun out of her waistband and immediately shoots richmond maddox in the right temple killing him instantly holy cow so just out of reaction boom shot him she likes the headshots she then jumps from the moving car before it crashes on Benton Avenue, and gunshot, car crash, all this. Of course, he was discovered fairly quickly, but at this point, Laura had already gotten in the car with the others, and they have fled the scene. The police investigated the scene, the crash, found out who the victim was, and went to go break the news of the incident to his parents. And this is when they learned about his unhinged ex-girlfriend, Laura Taylor. So at this point, police now have the bullet casings from the Danita Mm -hmm. payphone murder. And they now have a suspect in mind like, okay, he has this ex-girlfriend. The parents weren't aware that she had called him that night. But at least now they're like, they have an idea of somebody that might possibly be involved. Yeah. Somewhere to go. Some kind of a lead. Mm Mm-hmm. So after this murder and picking Laura Taylor back up, the group then heads back to Joseph Wilkerson's home (laughs) where they spend time in the house throwing a party and eating all the food, drinking all the drinks, while Joseph Wilkerson's body is still tied up dead in the bedroom down the hall. And that's disturbing. That is very disturbing. Yeah. Messed up. Celebrating their not- non-victories that they think are victories exactly then the day after christmas the group decided to head to the local mini mart because they've been eating all the food in the house drinking all the booze like they're like oh we need to go out and refresh but they still have murder on the mind so on the way to the mini mart they decide we're not done let's keep this going 
<laughs> of course not. Yeah. So they head to the, the mini mart. They enter and without hesitation fired around the store with that same 25 caliber gun used in the Gelati murder. They shot and killed the owner of the mini mart, 38-year-old Sarah Abraham, by shooting her in the head twice. They also wounded a customer who was inside, Jones Pettis, and apparently they had shot him in the hand and the stomach, but not fatal. He survived this. There was also another employee in the store who was able to escape without injury because they pretended like they were hit and played dead. You know, that's very smart. That is something I would do. I'm just saying. Especially if somebody comes in just firing. It's like you they don't know if they hit you or not, so you might as well just fake it. Yeah. So after this supposed massacre, which in their mind they just killed three people, they break into the register, stealing only the forty four dollars that were available. So all that for $44. Ridiculous. At first, the police didn't realize that like all of these murders were linked and they had no idea who they were looking for. They just had Laura Taylor's name down, but they didn't think all of them were linked together. And coming from the main detective on the case, he said, the fact that it was truly stranger on stranger crime, which is the most difficult homicide to solve... There wasn't even a motive in mind. I mean, like besides Laura, mm-hmm. they didn't. But it's also weird that they didn't think that any of them had anything to do with each other. Like, I get that it's stranger and stranger, but I mean, it's all happening in the same day. They're all being shot by like mm-hmm. the same. Well, at this point, it's over the course of three days. Oh well, whatever. Yeah. Point being, it's in the same area within a few days. Same guns pretty much are being used. Like, mm-hmm. how are you not? How are you not thinking that they are to get? Like, you yeah. know, there's something connected there. Yeah, and I mean, they've recovered the casings now at two crimes, but again, this is 1992, so their forensics teams aren't as equipped as they are now. So they have the casings, but it wasn't until this point, the mini mart, that they had casings from two scenes to compare. True, so they did have to wait. Yeah, they received the ones from the Payful murder, but at that point, those were the only casings that they had. It wasn't until after this and the police arrive on the scene after the posse had already fled the scene hours before that they retrieved the second set of casings that were in the store. So up until this point, two days later after the Payphone murder, they had nothing to connect the two. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. Nuts. So crazy. Like, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So now they're like, okay, we know two of these are connected because the twenty-five caliber handgun was used in both of those. The Richmond Maddox murder, it was a thirty-five caliber. So it's not the same gun. And that one, they just have Laura Taylor's name in mind. Mm -hmm. So according to them, these three, unknown fourth one, were... Not all connected to each other. But after the Mini Mart shooting, the group then stole another car, not realizing that it's going to be reported stolen because, I mean, they didn't kill the people, the owners of the car. They just stole a car. So they didn't realize it's going to be reported stolen just later that night. And it's reported stolen. They're driving around still. 
and former Dayton Police Sergeant John Huber spotted the stolen car on Cumler Avenue and called it in, pulled him over. And a quote from him, he said, they all cooperated, put their hands up. I was later to find out from the detectives that Laura Taylor told Marvelous King to shoot me, but he wouldn't. Oh, shoot. So he's not a cop killer. That's good, at least. Yeah. So it's also shocking that I know they're all like bloodthirsty at this moment, but the fact mm-hmm. that Laura Taylor, the which we said it like seemed like the follower up until this point, was the one was like, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. Like she wants this more yeah. than anything. But she's also the one that I said is extremely trigger happy. Yes, absolutely. And he knew right off the bat, he's like, they probably called it in. The car has been reported stolen. I'm not shooting this cop. I'm already done all these other things. I'm not shooting a cop, too. Yeah. So they cooperated. Immediately when they were told to get out of the stolen car, hands up, got out of the car. The four of them were arrested put behind bars, and brought in for questioning. At this point, they just think the four of them stole a car. That's it. They don't know everything that they had been doing the past three days. They just think they stole a car. Well, they are in for a surprise. (laughs) Yes. So they brought them in for questioning, and one of the members of the gang, Laura Taylor, got a visit from a local minister who was concerned that she was only 16 and accused of, like, stealing a car. Her name was brought up in the Richmond Maddox murder. So at this point, this local minister knew her, came in to talk to her. Some form of comfort other than a police officer interrogating you. And during their visit, I guess she felt comfortable enough to confess to him that there were two victims that the police were unaware of. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. So apparently, after the mini-mart shooting, the posse went and picked up two of their friends, 16-year-old Wendy Cottrell and 18-year-old Marvin Washington. They picked them up, they went to another store, bought some beer, some wine, and then got back on the road. Marvelous Keen then said that he needed to go to the bathroom, so they pulled over on the side of the road behind, like, a large dirt pile. And this ruse of having to go to the bathroom secluded them enough to be able to take these two friends out of the car, execute the both of them, and just leave them lying behind the dirt pile where nobody would find them. That is so wrong. Yeah. On so many levels. Like, what the heck? Mm Mm-hmm. I know. So much for being friends. Right? Like, they have no remorse for anybody. It's like the four of them against the world, pretty much, at this point. Basically, if you were associated with them or they know your name, like, they're coming for you. Yes, exactly. Which, that's a good point, because that's what it seems like. If you've done one wrong thing to them ever in their life, you're their next victim. (laughs) So the two of them... The two friends were completely unaccounted for for hours until Laura Taylor told the minister about it. So it's been a few hours. The last anyone knew about them was they were getting picked up with some friends. People just thought they were hanging out with their friends and they're having a good time. They've been gone for a few hours. It's Christmas break. They had no idea that they were killed and left until Laura told the minister about it. I mean, at least she confessed to somebody about it, but Mm -hmm. shoot. 
Yeah, but it was oh, with no I... remorse. Like, she, from what it seems like from her interrogations and all of their interrogations, when they talked, they openly said what they did. They didn't hide anything. They openly talked about it and talked about it in a way that it seemed like they were proud of it. Yeah. So they yes. had no remorse. Yeah. Yeah, which There's sucks. something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And while Laura Taylor is talking to the minister, in a separate interrogation room was the so-called leader, Marvelous Keen, who, again, didn't hold back. He confessed to everything, was acting as if he was proud of it, like this big macho man that committed all these murders. And at the end of the interrogations, Laura Taylor, DeMarcus Smith, and Heather Nicole Matthews were all convicted of murder and sentenced to life. Good. While their ringleader, Marvelous Keen, was charged with five of the murders and sentenced to death. I also think that Laura should have been sentenced to death if Marvelous was, because she did exactly the same things mm-hmm. that he did, plus more. Yeah, which I wonder, too, if, like, because he was, like, the ringleader, so he orchestrated this whole thing, that that's why it pushed it to the death sentence rather than just a life sentence. And it's possible that's his girlfriend, his young girlfriend. Again, she's a minor, so she's only 16. So she's probably not going to get convicted the same as him because he is an adult, technically. Mm-hmm. Which is the only thought that I can come up with. Yeah, he must have really loved her then. But, I mean, shoot. Yeah. Even with the ring, it's... Hmm, how do I put this? Yes, he might have been the ringleader, mm-hmm. but I also think Laura had a big part in what they yeah. were doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's crazy that I'm sure he probably took the blame for a lot of it, yes, but that she pretty much got away with that. Yeah. And I mean, she was more than likely charged for the Richmond Maddox murder because she was the only one that was directly tied to that. She was the one in the car. So out of the six murders, Marvelous Keen couldn't have been pinned to that one technically. He was only involved yeah. in five of them. So Laura Taylor, they could really only connect to one of them, Richmond Maddox. So I would assume that's why it didn't get pushed to the death sentence. Demarcus Smith wasn't there for the Joseph Wilkerson murder. He was just there for the other ones. And Heather Nicole Matthews, I don't even think she could have been tied to her own ex-boyfriend's, like, attempted murder because DeMarcus is the one that fired into the car. Yeah. So there's a lot of specifics that, like, possibly kept them from the death sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And again, (laughs) he's the, not the oldest, but he is more than likely being charged as an adult. So that can lead to the, the death sentence. True. You mm-hmm. get a little bit more of a leeway when you're below eight or well, you could still be like sixteen, eighteen and be charged as an adult. I think it just depends on the severity of the crime. Yeah. And if the you know judge and everything thinks you know, whatever. I forget exactly how that works, mm-hmm. but they must not have thought that if yeah. They weren't being charged the same, but... And again, at this time, again, okay. early 90s, forensics aren't the same, so it's possible that they couldn't necessarily tie them to Laura. It was just she was there, but maybe not full involvement. 
Not sure. So after they have all been sentenced to life, Marvelous Keen spent the next 17 years trying to appeal his sentence until 2009 when he was officially executed with the last meal of, get ready for this, it is insane all the food he got. (laughs) (laughs) He got a full steak, a pound of prawns with cocktail sauce, fries and onion rings, bread and butter, two plums, a mango, a pound of grapes, a German chocolate cake, two bottles of Pepsi, and two bottles of cream soda. I mean, that is how you have a final meal. Mm -hmm. That is all good comfort food right there. Yeah. Well, not only that, but you get all your favorites. And of course, it's your last meal. So they're pretty much, well, I don't know about so much now, but I know that there's like a price limit for some places. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of crazy. He definitely went went bye-bye with a full belly, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. If he didn't throw it all up beforehand from eating too much food, I don't know. (laughs) True. (laughs) But before his execution by lethal injection, when they had him all strapped up and they asked if he had any last words, his response were, I have no words. Hmm. So this gives absolutely zero closure to like the families of the victims and no information as to why their loved ones were targeted. Why it was, why, why were they picked? It's just horrible that that's what you leave them with. It is horrible. That's what they leave them with. But slight hope for the families is that there's still other people that are currently in jail or were, I don't know if they still mm-hmm. are, but in jail that could still give you reasons as to why they did what they did. That's so, true. So, yes, it left them with, like, no closure from Marvelous's perspective, mm-hmm. but yeah, hopefully they ended up getting some answers from the others that were involved that's true and at this point so if you look at like any of the newspaper articles that were published the media really hung on to the fact that marvelous keen was the ringleader so the family they're not going to get all the details of every single event so really what they're taking in because you know the police don't give all the information even if it's your own loved one so really what they have to go off is the media. So to them, the families and the public, Marvelous Keen was the one that orchestrated everything. So they weren't aware of everybody's involvement. So by the time he was put to death, they expected answers from him. He was the leader. He was the one running all this. So the fact that they didn't get answers from who they assumed was the one running the whole thing, I don't think they'd be thinking like, oh, these other people can give me answers. Like they're like the ringleader because that's what every media outlet was focused on. Yeah, true. So that could be a reasoning. So a few years after the sentencing and a few years before Keene's execution, during a prison interview in the year 2000, Heather Matthews was interviewed and gave an explanation as to why she got into the crime spree with the group. And her reasoning was, quote, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to do what they were doing. (laughs) Yeah. But Detective Burke said that once the killing started, he completely believed, like, they were all willing willing participants. Nobody was doing this against their will. 
No, no one was being held at gunpoint or being threatened in any way. Like, they chose to be in that car. They chose to go to the houses. Mm-hmm. And they chose to hold the weapons. Like, yeah. And although at this point, Heather had not fired a gun herself, she was in that. Like, from literally the start, she was involved. Yeah. She was part of the whole scheme to lure a man back to their home to at least rob from them. So even though she didn't fire the gun herself, she's involved. Yeah, and she helped tie him up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like one 16-year-old little girl, because she's very petite, is not going to tie a grown man up herself. Yeah. Even if it's in foreplay mood. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to leave you guys with, like I said, Detective Burke. He had a reflection on it. And his quote to her saying this, he said, They enjoyed it. They lived it. It made them somebody. Yeah. Exactly. That is spot on. Mm Mm-hmm. And this now, if you look up the Christmas killings, the downtown posse will come up with Marvelous King as the ringleader, his girlfriend, and their two friends, another couple, all involved in this horrendous crime spree that took the course of three days over Christmas. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It is. It's crazy and aggravating and it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's like no words to put to it. Like, they yeah. started it out of nowhere and it started with one robbery that turned into armed robbery and murder and then it just kept on going mm-hmm. back to back to back as they partied in this dead man's house. And lived in this dead man's house for three days while his body is just decomposing in the other room. That is disgusting. Yeah. I have, I literally have no words. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of, I think, processing. It's a lot. It's (laughs) a lot. And when I was doing this case, I was like, it's one thing after another. Yeah, it's never ending. Exactly. And I I found an article eventually after they literally got caught. They didn't just stop on their own. They were probably on their way to the next person. True. I found like a timeline, like some article had a timeline and it's literally like nothing in between. It just goes December 24th, murder, December 24th, murder, December 24th, murder, December 25th, murder, December 25th, party. Like it's just murder, 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 pretty much. Dang. There's nothing else they just the next person they came across dead next person they came across dead like they left no room for anything else that's also terrifying to think about that people do that Mm -hmm. like it's real like you could literally that saying being at the wrong place at the wrong time like that's real Mm -hmm. yeah and you wonder why people are terrified to leave their house on their own hello me i'm one of those people (laughs) (laughs) yeah but also i'm like I know better from cases like this. Like, at that point in time, you're not going to think about it. But now I know, like, I'm not going to be by myself in the middle of the night in anywhere. Like, poor Danita at this time, like, it wasn't that common. But she's just talking on the payphone, thinking nothing of it. And all of a sudden, this group of four people rob her and kill her. Like, that is so, at that point, unheard of. Yeah. To where now it's, like, a norm. Yeah, I was going to say, things always happen at a payphone. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, was it? even movies like the creepy much. payphone and the single spotlight? Like, yeah, <laughs> nuts. But anyways, I want to know what your guys' thoughts are, Lab Techs. Like, 
What do you think drove this? Like just the pure insanity of it? Do you think like the, the thrill of it? Or was it like Detective Burke said, like this made them somebody, this put their name out there, put them in the paper, whether good or bad. Like, what do you guys think? And sorry to bring you this grim tale on a few, like your week before Christmas. Hope you enjoy Christmas break if you get it, listeners out there, or you enjoy the festivities. <laughs> yes. And if you like this podcast, this episode, or hearing us talk back and forth and making jokes and talking crime, make sure you share it with friends or family or anybody that think might like us. Share, share, share. And remember, don't have nightmares. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.